Chapter Five, Part Two of the Rosicrucian Mysteries by Max Heindel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The Rosicrucian mystery teaching gives a scientific method whereby an aspirant to higher life may purge himself continually, and thus be able to entirely avoid existence in purgatory. Each night after retiring, the pupil reviews his life during the past day in reverse order. He starts to visualize as clearly as possible the scene which took place just before retiring. He then endeavors to impartially view his actions in that scene, examining them to see whether he did right or wrong. If the latter, he endeavors to feel and realize as vividly as possible that wrong. For instance, if he spoke harshly to someone, and upon later consideration finds that it was not merited, he will endeavor to feel exactly as that one felt whom he wronged, and at the very earliest opportunity to apologize for the hasty expression. Then he will call up the next scene in backward succession, which may perhaps be the supper-table. In respect of that scene he will examine himself as to whether he ate to live, sparingly of the foods prepared without suffering to other creatures of God, such as flesh foods that cannot be obtained without taking life. If he finds that he allowed his appetite to run away with him, and that he ate gluttonously, he will endeavor to overcome these habits, for to live a clean life we must have a clean body, and no one can live to his highest possibilities while making his stomach a graveyard for the decaying corpses of murdered animals. In this respect there occurs to the writer a little poem by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. I am the voice of the voiceless, through me the dumb shall speak, till a deaf world's ear shall be made to hear the wrongs of the wordless weak. The same force formed the sparrow, that fashioned man the king. The god of the whole gave spark of soul, to furred and feathered thing. And I am my brother's keeper, and I will fight his fight, and speak the word for beast and bird, till the world shall set things right. Thus the pupil will continue to review each scene in reverse order, from night till morning, and to feel really sorry for whatever he has done amiss he will not neglect to feel glad either when he comes to a scene where he has done well and the more intensely he can feel the more thoroughly he will eradicate the record upon which the tablet of the heart and sharpen his conscience so that as time goes from year to year he will find less cause for blame and enhance his soul power enormously thus he will grow in a measure impossible by any less systematic method and there will be no necessity for his stay in purgatory after death this evening exercise and another for the morning if persistently performed day by day will awaken in time the spiritual vision as they improve life this matter has however been so thoroughly treated in number eleven of the lecture series spiritual light and insight it is safe culture and control that it is unnecessary to dwell upon the matter further in this place the first heaven in the first heaven which is located in the higher regions of the desire world the panorama of life again unrolls and reveals every scene where we aimed to help or benefit others they were not felt at the time the spirit was in the lower regions for the higher desires cannot express themselves in coarse matter composing the lower regions of the desire world but when the spirit ascends to the first heaven it reaps from each scene all the good which it expressed in life it will feel the gratitude poured out by those whom it helped 
if it comes to a scene where itself received a favor from others and was grateful it will experience the gratitude anew the sum of all these feelings is there amalgamated into the spirit to serve in a future life as incentives to good thus the soul is expurged from evil in purgatory and strengthened in good in the first heaven in one region the extract of sufferings becomes conscious to deter us from wrongdoing in the other region the quintessence of good is transmuted to benevolence and altruism which are the basis of all true progress moreover purgatory is far from being a place of punishment it is perhaps the most beneficent realm in nature for because of purgation we are born innocent life after life the tendencies to commit the same evil for which we suffered remain with us and temptations to commit the same wrongs will be placed in our path until we have consciously overcome the evil here temptation is not sin however the sin is in yielding among the inhabitants of the invisible world there is one class which lives a particularly painful life sometimes for a great many years namely the suicide who tried to play truant from school of life yet it is not an angry god or a malevolent devil who administers punishment but an immutable law which portions the sufferings differently to each individual suicide we learned previously when considering the world of thought that each form in this visible world is its archetype there a vibrating hollow mold which emits a certain harmonious sound that sound attracts and forms physical matter into the shape we behold much in the same manner as when we place a little sand upon a glass plate and rub the edge with a violin bow the sand is shaped into different geometrical figures which change as the sound changes the little atom in the heart is the sample and the center around which the atoms in our body gather when that is removed at death the center is lacking and although the archetype keeps on vibrating until the limit of life has been reached also previously explained no matter can be drawn into the hollow shape of the archetype and therefore the suicide feels a dreadful gnawing pain as if he were hollowed out a torture which can only be likened to the pangs of hunger in his case the intense suffering will continue for exactly as many years as he should have lived in the body at the expiration of that time the archetype collapses as it does when death comes naturally then the pain of the suicide ceases and he commences his period of purgation as do those who die a natural death but the memories of sufferings experienced in consequence of the act of suicide will remain with him in future lives and deter him from similar mistakes in the first heaven there is a class who have not had any purgatorial existence and who lead a particularly joyous life the children our homes may be saddened almost beyond endurance when the little flower is broken and the sunshine it brought has gone but could we see the beautiful existence of these little ones lead and did we understand the great benefits which accrue to a child from its limited stay there our sorrow would be at least ameliorated in great measure and the wound upon our heart would heal more quickly besides as nothing else in the world happens without a cause so there is also a much deeper cause for infant mortality than we are usually aware of and as we awake to the facts of the case we shall be able to avoid in the future the sorrow incident to loss of our little ones to understand the case properly we must revert to the experiences of the dying in the death hour 
we remember that the panorama of past life is etched upon the desire body during a period varying from a few hours to three and one-half days just subsequent to demise we recall also that upon the depth of this etching depends on the clearness of the picture and that the more vivid this panorama of life the more intensely will the spirit suffer in purgatory and feel the joys of heaven also that the greater the suffering in purgatory the stronger the conscience in the next life it was explained how the horrors of death upon the battlefield in an accident or other untoward circumstances would prevent the spirit from giving all its attention to the panorama of life with the result that there would be a light etching in the desire body followed by a vague and insipid existence in purgatory and the first heaven it was also stated that hysterical lamentations in the death chamber would produce the same effect a spirit which had thus escaped suffering proportionate to its misdeeds and which had not experienced the pleasure commensurate with the good it had done would not in a future life as well developed a conscience as it ought to have nor would it be as benevolent as it ought to be and therefore the life terminated under conditions over which the spirit had no control would be partially wasted the great leaders of humanity therefore take steps to counteract such a calamity and prevent an injustice the spirit is brought to birth caused to die in childhood it re-enters the desire world and in the first heaven it is taught the lessons of which it was deprived previously as the first heaven is located in the desire world which is the realm of light and color where matter is shaped most readily by thought the little ones are given wonderful toys impossible of construction here they are taught to play with colors which work upon their moral character in exactly the manner which each child requires any one who is at all sensitive is affected by the color of his clothing and surroundings some colors have a depressing effect while others inspire us with energy and others again soothe and comfort us in the desire world the effect of colors is much more intense they are much more potent factors of good and evil there than here and in this color play the child imbibes unconsciously the qualities which it did not acquire on account of accident or lamentations of relatives often it also falls to the lot of such relatives to care for a child in the invisible world or perhaps to give it birth and see it die thus they receive just retribution for the wrong committed as wars cease and man learns to be more careful of life and also how to care for the dying infant mortality which now is so appalling will decrease the second heaven when both the good and evil of a life has been extracted the spirit discards its desire body and ascends to the second heaven the desire body then commences to disintegrate as the physical body and the vital body have done but it is a peculiarity of desire stuff that once it has been formed and inspired with life it persists for a considerable time even after that life has fled it lives a semi-conscious independent life sometimes it is drawn by magnetic attraction to relatives of the spirit whose clothing it was and at spiritualistic seances these shells generally impersonate the departed spirit and deceive its relatives as the panorama of the past life is etched into the shells they have a memory of incidents in connection with these relatives which facilitates the deception but as the intelligence has fled they are of course unable to give any true counsel and that accounts for the inane goody-goody nonsense which these things deliver themselves 
When passing from the first to the second heaven, the spirit experiences the condition known and described as previously, the great silence, where it stands utterly alone, conscious only of its divinity. When that silence is broken there, it floats in upon the spirit celestial harmonies of the world of tone, where the second heaven is located. It seems then to live in an ocean of sound, and to experience a joy beyond all description and words, as it nears its heavenly home. For this is the first of the truly spiritual realms from which the spirit has been exiled during its earth life, and the subsequent post-mortem existence. In the desire world its work was corrective, but in the world of thought the human spirit becomes one with the nature forces and its creative activity begins. Under the law of causation we reap exactly what we sow, and it would be wrong to place one spirit in an environment where there is a scarcity of the necessities of life, where a scorching sun burns the crop and millions die from famine, or where the raging flood sweeps away primitive habitations not built to withstand its ravages, and to bring an other spirit to birth in a land of plenty, with a fertile soil which yields a maximum of increase with the minimum of labor where the earth is rich in minerals that may be used in industry to facilitate transportation of products of the soil from one point to another if we were thus placed without action or acquiescence upon our part there would be no justice but just as our post-mortem existence in purgatory and the first heaven is based upon our moral attitude in this life so our activities in the second heaven are determined by our mental aspirations and they produce our future physical environment for in the second heaven the spirit becomes part of the nature forces which work upon the earth and changes climate flora and fauna a spirit of indolent nature who indulges in daydreams and metaphysical speculations here is not transformed by death respecting its mental attitude any more than regarding its moral propensities it will dream away time in heaven glorying in its sights and sounds Thus it will neglect to work upon its future country, and return to a barren and arid land. Spirits, on the other hand, whose material apparitions lead them to desire so-called solid comforts of hearth and home, who aim to promote great industries, and whose mind is concerned in trade and commerce, will build in heaven a land that will suit their purpose, fertile, immineralized, and navigable rivers and sheltered harbors. They will return in time to enjoy upon earth the fruits of their labors in the second heaven, as they reap the result of their life upon earth in purgatory and the first heaven. THE THIRD HEAVEN In the third heaven, most people have very little consciousness for reasons explained in connection with the region of abstract thought, for there the third heaven is located. It is therefore more of a place of waiting where the spirit rests between the time when it labors in the second heaven have been completed and the time when it again experiences the desire for rebirth. But from this realm inventors bring down their original ideas. There the philanthropist obtains the clearest vision of how to realize his utopian dreams and the spiritual aspirations of the saintly minded are given renewed impetus in time the desires of the spirit for further experiences draw it back to rebirth and the great celestial beings who are known in the christian religion as recording angels assist the spirit to come to birth in the place best suited to give it the experience necessary to further unfold its powers and possibilities we have all been here many times and in many different families we have had relations of varying nature with many different people 
and usually there are several families among whom we seek re-embodiment to work out our self-generated destiny and to reap what we have sown in former life if there are no special reasons why we should take birth in any particular family among certain friends or foes the spirit is allowed to choose its own place of birth thus it may be said that most of us are in our present places by our own prenatal choice in order to assist us in making that choice the recording angels call up before the spirit's vision a panorama in general outlines of each of the offered lives this panorama will show what part our past debts we are to pay and what fruits we may be expected to reap in the coming life the spirit is left free to choose between the several lives offered but once a choice has been made no evasion is possible during life we have free will with regard to the future but the past mature destiny we cannot escape as shown by the incident record in the rosicrucian cosmo conception where the writer warned a well-known los angeles lecturer that if he left his home upon a certain day he would be injured by a conveyance in head neck breast and shoulders the gentleman believed and intended to heed our warning nevertheless he went to sierra madre to lecture upon the fateful day he was injured in the places stated by a collision and later explained i thought the twenty-eighth was the twenty-ninth when the spirit has made its choice it descends into the second heaven where it is instructed by the angels and archangels how to build an archetype of the body which it will later inhabit upon earth also here we note the operation of the great law of justice which decrees that we reap what we sow if our tastes are coarse and sensual we shall build an archetype which will express these qualities if we are refined and of aesthetic taste we shall build an archetype correspondingly refined but no one can obtain a better body than he can build then as the architect who builds a house in which he afterwards lives will suffer discomfort if he neglects to properly ventilate it so also the spirit feels disease in a poorly constructed body and as the architect learns to avoid mistakes and remedy the shortcomings of one house when building another also the spirit which suffers from defects in its body learns in time to build better and better vehicles in the region of concrete thought the spirit also draws to itself materials for a new mind as a magnet draws iron filings but leaves other substances alone so also each spirit draws only the kind of mind stuff which it used in its former life plus that which it has learned to use in its present post-mortem state then it descends into the desire world where it gathers material for a new desire body such as will express appropriately its moral characteristics and later it attracts a certain amount of ether which is built into the mold of the archetype constructed in the second heaven and acts as a cement between the solids liquids and gaseous materials from the body of parents which forms the dense physical body of a child and in due time the latter is brought to birth birth and child life it must not be imagined however that when the little body of a child has been born the process of birth is completed the dense physical body has had the longest evolution and as a shoemaker who has worked at his trade for a number of years is more expert than an apprentice and can make better shoes and quicker also the spirit which has built many physical bodies produces them quickly but the vital body is a later acquisition of the human being therefore we are not so expert in building that vehicle 
Consequently, it takes longer to construct that from the materials not used up in making the lining of the archetype, and the vital body is not born until the seventh year. Then the period of rapid growth commences. The desire body is a still later edition of composite man, and is not brought to birth until the fourteenth year when the desire nature expresses itself most strongly during so-called hot youth, and the mind, which makes man man, does not come to birth until the twenty-first year. In law, that age is recognized as the earliest time he is fitted to exercise a franchise. This knowledge is of the utmost importance to parents, as a proper understanding of the development which should take place in each step of the sepentary epics enables the educator to work intelligently with nature, and thus fulfill more thoroughly the trust of a parent than those who are ignorant of the Rosicrucian mystery teaching. We shall therefore devote the remaining pages to an elucidation of this matter, and of the importance of the knowledge of astrology upon the part of the parent. The Mystery of Light, Color, and Consciousness God is light, says the Bible, and we are unable to conceive of a grander simile of His omnipresence, or the mode of His manifestation. Even the greatest telescopes have failed to reach the boundaries of light, though they reveal to us stars millions of miles from earth. And we may well ask ourselves, as did the palmists of old, whither shall I flee from thy presence, if I ascend into heaven? art thou there? If I make my bed in the grave, thou art there. If I take the wings of morning, and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. When, in the dawn of being, God the Father enunciated the Word, and the Holy Spirit moved upon the sea of homogeneous virgin matter, primeval darkness was turned to light. That is therefore the prime manifestation of deity and a study of the principles of light will reveal to the mystic intuition a wonderful source of spiritual inspiration as it would take us too far afield from our subject we shall not enter into an elucidation of that theme here except so far as to give an elementary idea of how divine life energizes the human frame and stimulates to action truly god is one and undivided he enfolds within his being all it is, as the white light embraces all colors. But he appears threefold in manifestation, as the white light is refracted in three primary colors, blue, yellow, and red. Wherever we see these colors, they are emblematical of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three primary rays of divine life are diffused or radiated through the sun and produce life, consciousness, and form upon each of the seven light-bearers, the planets, which are called the seven spirits before the throne. Their names are Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus. Bode's law proves that Neptune does not belong to our solar system, and that the reader is referred to simplified scientific astrology by the present writer, for mathematical demonstration of this contention. Each of the seven planets receives the light of the sun in a different measure, according to its proximity to the central orb, and the constitution of its atmosphere, and the beings upon each, according to their stage of development, have affinity for some of the solar rays. They absorb the colors of colors congruous to them, and reflect the remainder upon the other planets. This reflected ray bears with it an impulse of nature of beings with which it has been in contact. 
thus the divine light and life comes to each planet either directly from the sun or reflected from its six sister planets and as the summer breeze which has been wafted over blooming fields carries upon it its silent invisible wings the blended fragrance of a multitude of flowers so also the subtle influences from the garden of god bring to us the commingled impulses of all spirits and in that very colored light we live and move and have our being the rays which come directly from the sun are productive of spiritual illumination the reflected rays from other planets make for added consciousness and moral development and the rays reflected by the way of the moon give physical growth but as each planet can only absorb a certain quality of one or more colors according to the general stage of evolution there so each being upon earth mineral plant animal and man can only absorb and thrive upon a certain quantity of the various rays projected upon the earth the remainder do not affect it or produce sensation any more than the blinder conscious of light and color which exist everywhere around them therefore each being is differently affected by the stellar rays and the science of astrology a fundamental truth in nature of enormous benefit in the attainment of spiritual growth from a horoscopic figure in mystic script we may learn our own strength and weakness with the path best suited to our development or we may see the tendencies of those friends who come to us as children and what traits are dormant in them thus we shall know clearly how to discharge our duties as parents by repressing evil before it comes to birth and fostering good so that it may bring forth most abundantly the spiritual potencies of the soul committed to our care as we have already said man returns to earth to reap that which he has sown in previous lives and to sow anew the seeds which make for future experience the stars are the heavenly timekeepers which measure the year the moon indicates the month when the time will be propitious to harvest or sow the child is a mystery to us all we can only know its propensities as they slowly develop into characteristics but it is usually too late to check when the evil habits have been formed and the youth is upon the downward grade a horoscope cast for the time of birth in a scientific manner shows the tendencies to good or evil in the child and if a parent will take time and trouble necessary to study the science of the stars he or she may do the child entrusted to his or her care with inestimable service by fostering tendencies to good and repressing the evil bent of a child ere it has crystallized into habit do not imagine that a superior mathematical knowledge is necessary to erect a horoscope many construct a horoscope in such an involved manner so fearfully and wonderfully made that it is unreadable to themselves or others while a simple figure easy of reading may be constructed by anyone who knows how to add and subtract this method has been thoroughly elucidated in simplified scientific astrology which is a complete textbook though small and inexpensive and the parents who have the welfare of their children thoroughly at heart should endeavor to learn for themselves for even though their ability may not compare with that of a professional astrologer their intimate knowledge of the child and their deep interest will more than compensate for such lack and enable them to see most deeply into the child's character by means of its horoscope education of children respecting the birth of the various vehicles and the influence which that has upon life 
we may say that during the time from birth to the seventh year the lines of growth of the physical body are determined and as it has been noted that the sound is builder both in the great and small we may well imagine that rhythm must have an enormous influence upon the growing and sensitive little child's organism the apostle john in the first chapter of his gospel expresses this idea mystically in the beautiful words in the beginning there was the word and without it was not anything made that was made and the word became flesh the word is a rhythmic sound which issued from the creator reverberated through the universe and marshaled countless millions of atoms into the complex variety of shapes and forms which we see about us the mountain the mayflower the mouse and the man are all embodiments of that great cosmic world which is still sounding through the universe and which is still building and ever building though unheard by our insensitive ears but though we do not hear that wonderful celestial sound we may work upon the little child's body by terrestrial music and though the nursery rhymes are without sense they are nevertheless bearers of a wonderful rhythm and the more the child is taught to say sing and repeat them to dance and to march to them the more music is incorporated into the child's daily life the stronger and healthier will be its body in future years there are two mottos which apply during this period one to the child and the other to the parent example and imitation no creature under heaven is more imitative than a little child and its conduct in after years will depend largely upon the example set by its parents during its early life it is no use to tell a child not to mind it has no mind wherewith to discriminate but follows its natural tendency as water falls down a hill when it imitates therefore it behooves every parent to remember from morning till night that watchful eyes are upon him all the time waiting for him to act in order to follow his example it is of the utmost importance that the child's clothing should be very loose particularly the clothing of little boys as chafing garments often produce vices which follow a man through life if any one should attempt to forcibly extract a babe from the protecting womb of its mother the outrage would result in death because the babe has not yet arrived at a maturity sufficient to endure impacts of the physical world in the three sedentary periods which follow birth the invisible vehicles are still in the womb of mother nature if we teach a child of tender years to memorize or to think or if we arouse its feelings and emotions we are in fact opening the protecting womb of nature and the results are equally as disastrous in other respects as a forced premature birth child prodigies usually become men and women of less than ordinary intelligence we should not hinder the child from learning or thinking of his own volition but we should not goad them on as parents often do to nourish their own pride when the vital body is born at the age of seven a period of growth begins and a new motto or relation rather is established between parent and child this may be expressed in two words authority and discipleship in this period the child is taught certain lessons which it takes upon faith in the authority of its teachers whether at home or at school and as memory is a faculty of the vital body it can now memorize what is learned it is therefore eminently teachable particularly because it is unbiased by preconceived opinions which prevent most of us from accepting new views at the end of this second period 
from about twelve to fourteen the vital body has been so far developed that puberty is reached at the age of fourteen we have the birth of the desire body which marks the commencement of self-assertion in earlier years the child regards itself more as belonging to a family and subordinate to the wishes of its parents than after the fourteenth year the reason is this in the throat of the fetus and the young child there is a gland called the thymus gland which is the largest before birth then gradually it diminishes through the years of childhood and finally disappears at ages which vary according to the characteristics of the child anatomists have been puzzled as to the function of this organ and have not yet come to any settled conclusion but it has been suggested that before development of the red marrow bones the child is not able to manufacture its own blood and therefore the thymus gland contains an essence supplied by the parents upon which the child may draw during infancy and childhood till able to manufacture its own blood that theory is approximately true and as the family blood flows in the child it looks upon itself as part of the family and not as an ego but the moment it commences to manufacture its own blood the ego asserts itself it is no longer papa's girl or mama's boy it has an i identity of its own then comes the critical age when parents reap what they have sown the mind has not yet been born nothing holds the desire in check and much very much depends upon how the child has been taught in earlier years and what example the parents have set at this point in life self-assertion the feeling i am myself is stronger than at any other time and therefore authority should give place to advice the parent should practice the utmost tolerance for at no time in life is a human being as much in need of sympathy as during the seven years from fourteen to twenty-one when the desire nature is rampant and unchecked it is a crime to inflict corporal punishment upon a child at any age might is never right and as the stronger the parent should always have compassion for the weaker but there is one feature of corporal punishment which makes it particularly dangerous to apply it to the youth namely that it awakens the passional nature which is already perhaps beyond the control of a growing boy if we whip a dog we shall soon break its spirit and transform it into a cringing cur and it is deplorable that some parents seem to regard it as their mission in life to break the spirit of their child with the rule of the rod if there is one universal lack among the human race which is more apparent than any other it is lack of will and as parents we may remedy the evil in a large measure by guiding the wills of our children along such lines as dedicated by our own more mature reason so that we may help them grow a backbone instead of a wishbone which unfortunately most of us are afflicted therefore never whip a child when punishment is necessary correct by withholding favors or withdrawing privileges at the twenty-first year of birth of the mind transforms the youth into a man or a woman fully equipped to commence his own life in the school of experience thus we have followed the human spirit around a life cycle from death to birth and maturity we have seen how a mutable law governs his every step and how he is ever encompassed by the loving care of the great and glorious beings who are the ministers of god the method of his future development will be explained in a later work which deal with the christian mystic initiation end of chapter five part two recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah 
voiceoversbykirk.com. End of the Rosicrucian Mysteries by Max Heindel